And if you are uh, new to the Young Adult Sunday School class, or maybe need a refresher, we are going through 1 Corinthians, passage by passage. Uh, this letter was written to a very troubled church. They had a ton of issues. They were divided. And Paul addresses them primarily by taking the gospel, the story and the truth about what God has done in Jesus, and applying it to all these issues. And uh, two weeks ago, we, we were in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 12 to 20. And we saw Paul apply the gospel to sexual immorality. And he said that because our bodies are united to Jesus, that we should, um, we should treat our bodies with purity. We should keep them pure. Um, and now uh, he's going to apply the gospel to how we view sex and marriage. Um, before we dive in, I just want to say uh, if you are a single person who wants to get married, um, there is almost nothing <coughs> more stressful uh, than bad Christian dating advice. Um, I remember one time a dear brother of mine in college, he's now in a very mature and healthy place, but he and I both just become Christians. And uh, this is our junior, senior year, I think. And he really, really, really liked a girl. And he said, because I like her so much, I am not going to speak to her for six months because I want to make sure it's God's will. And uh, I even read a book, and I'm not going to tell you who this is by, but she's, in many ways, this person's a hero of the Christian faith, not in these three chapters, but she said that, uh, she said that you should, like that your, God will give you your spouse in the same way he gives like a sign from heaven. It will be unmistakably clear, and you should just wait for that. I think that's terrible advice. Anyways, um, when, I was, uh, when I was 19 and 20, it was very stressful to me uh, to think through all this stuff. Um, and what was really, really a blessing to me is some godly men came alongside me and said, you know, Leland, uh, there is no such thing as the one. In fact, uh, God just calls you to marry a Christian, and you can be realistic about that. And it was just kind of a burden off my uh, shoulders. It was a big sigh of relief for me. Um, and what I love about 1 Corinthians 7 um, is that Paul gives us a really realistic and gospel-centered and helpful perspective on marriage and sex. And uh, I'm really excited about that. Um, just look at uh, real quick before we jump in. Look at verse 1, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, you'll see this probably in quotations at the second half of the verse. It says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That is something the Corinthians were saying. They wrote him a letter that said, hey, here's what we're teaching people. And Paul's going to correct that view. That's a wrong view. So just know that before we dive in. So here we go. First Corinthians 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each should have his own wife, or each, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession... Not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. 
But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called as a bondservant who was free when called, is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let there let him remain with God. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you that you have spoken. And um, I just pray that as we deal with a very important and uh, potentially very stressful topic for many of us. I pray that you would give us humility before your word and the wisdom uh, to apply it well. Um, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys have known me for any considerable length of time or uh, hung out with me somewhere or heard me teach, you probably know uh, how much I love coffee. Um, I told a story one Sunday about the very expensive coffee machine Sarah and I uh, bought. If we hang out, most likely it'll be at a coffee house. That's just kind of what I do. Um, but I love coffee because it makes my life a lot easier. Uh, I first uh, enjoy its taste, and second, it gives me all this energy. I can like study in the morning. I can wake up. It's wonderful. Um, but I would be crazy if I thought that coffee was necessary for life. Um, if the world ran out of coffee tomorrow, um, I would be very grumpy, probably for a very long time, but I would survive, all right? It's not necessary. It's one of those, stra- it's one of those wonderful gifts where God is just kind of showing off. He's just giving us something to enjoy. It's not, like a, it's not like water or a heartbeat that you must have to survive. It's just a gift that makes some aspects of your life easier. And it's not a gift that's for everybody. Some people in here hate coffee. Some people are like, I don't, this is ridiculous, you know. Um, but what we see in this passage that is just so helpful and so refreshing is that Paul views marriage in a very similar way. Marriage is a gift from God. It's a provision from God that is meant to help with some aspects and temptations of life. It is not the purpose of life. It is not what makes someone a fulfilled human being. It's not the center of existence. It is just a helpful gift 
and provision of God, one he's given to bless us. And that's a, that is really helpful um, because we live in a day where our secular culture tells us that marriage is evil and stupid and that we should never expect to be committed to someone for our entire lives. That's crazy. And we also live in a church culture that in some ways idolizes marriage and makes it the point of existence and even, even makes single people feel like they're strange or different. And this passage is right, uh, right in the biblical middle. It's a healthy perspective. And uh, what lies under this perspective, what, uh, what motivates, mo- motivates it, I think, um, I think it's the fact that Paul understood and experienced that Jesus and relationship to Jesus is what gives us life and purpose and meaning. He understood the gospel, that story about God sending Christ to earth to save mankind doesn't just mean that we can be forgiven, but that we can have life with God. In John 7, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, thirsts for life, let him come to me and drink. And this, mor- this morning, to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the scriptures, is saying to that, if you want life, if you want personal fulfillment, if you want joy, come to Jesus through the cross and drink of him. And from there, from that perspective, that God himself is our life, that he is our joy, now we can finally see marriage and sex appropriately. Now we can view them um, as Paul does here. So here's the first thing Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 7. If you are someone who has not been gifted by God to be single, in other words, if you have really strong sexual desires or strong desires for companionship, then you should pursue marriage realistically. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at the text and I'll explain it as we go. Look at verse 1, okay? Corinth was a strange place, all right? Uh, half the people in the congregation were saying things like, sex is no big deal, do whatever you want to with it. And last week, Paul correct that view, or two weeks ago. Um, other people were saying things like, uh, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. In other words, uh, sex itself, no matter in what context, is wrong. Even husband and wife shouldn't do it. Super spiritual people don't need sex or have sex. That's what they were saying. And Paul corrects this view uh, in verse 2. He says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. In other words, uh, sex in marriage and the marriage covenant, one of the main purposes of marriage which God has given to us, is, is as a provision for our desires for sex and companionship. It's a gift of God. It's meant to make the temptation towards immorality much easier. It's a provision of God for us. Um, but, but again, notice, Paul does not say that marriage is the point of life or that sex and marriage is the only way to be happy. doesn't even say that romance is the center of marriage. Wow. Um, but it does say uh, pursue marriage realistically. It describes what's required in marriage. Look at, uh, look at verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Marriage, in marriage, you give yourself wholly to someone else. That thing we talked about last week, sex, that most intimate part of you, that when you get married, even that does not belong to you. Your body does not even belong to you when you get married. 
You become someone else's. Um, that's a really weighty thing. Um, and then in verse, uh, verse 10, we see that marriage is a lifelong covenant. It is charged. Look at that verse, uh, the word in verse 10, to the married I give this charge. It's the same kind of word that Paul uses when he tells Timothy that he charges him to preach the gospel. I give married people the charge that, that marriage is for life. That when you get married, you are committing for life. So um, as you pursue marriage, pursue it understanding what it is. So a couple applications really quickly. Um, if you are dating somebody or you have some prospects on the horizon, okay, uh, that means that your relationship with them should be aimed at marriage. I'm not saying quickly aimed. I'm not saying you shoot a cannon at marriage, okay? But I'm saying that, that the tone of your relationship, okay, the direction, how you spend your time together, um, what you're thinking about, the only option is either marriage or breakup. That's where it goes. You don't, you don't just date for years, all right, if you're a believer and you want to have sex, okay? That's, it's not healthy. It's not right. Um, very simple application if you're, um, if you're dating somebody. But some of you guys are like, Leland, um, I don't have any prospects on the horizon right now. How can I pursue marriage? All right, I'll say two things. Um, first, you can seek more and more to become a marryable person. The scriptures lay out um, the requirements for marriage. First, you're a believer, okay? And not just like someone who claims to be a believer, who shows up in church, who's around, who, but, but someone who's rooted in Christ, growing in Him, loving Jesus, walking with Him. Um, so many of the qualities that make a great marriage are qualities like humility and forgiveness and being easy to live with. All those things come out of relationship with Christ. Marriable people are, generally speaking, adults. They're not perpetually adolescents, you know? And uh, this person's not in this room. I don't even know their name, fortunately, but Sarah has a friend at work who uh, makes $70,000 a year and lives with her parents so that she can buy adult toys, like boats, you know? Uh, and there's a, real, there's a real trend in American culture towards you graduate college, and now it's time to have fun with all the money you're making, you know? And it's just kind of like there's this season, like, Enjoy your 20s, you know, travel, do life. And I, I would just say, um, if you are someone who's not gifted to be single, you should, you should work on becoming a responsible, marriable adult, like adulting, okay? You know, that verb that we've created in our generation, right? Like, that should be, those kind of things are really important for marriages. Now, it's just real practical. Uh, second, all right, and this is probably the one that, might, that you guys might have the most mm, about, okay? Uh, secondly, you should keep... The, if you want to pursue marriage, no prospects on the horizon, you should keep the biblical requirements of a spouse as forefront in your mind. Like I just said, they're a believer. They're in the Lord. Um, Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, um, Someone's charm or physical attractiveness is not cheap. In fact, those things are, those things are deceitful. They leave, you know. 80-year-olds, okay, having been married for 50 years, do not look like they did when they were 25. Okay, that's the reality. But someone who fears God, that's what you should look for. And one thing that we really have been burdened by in America is we have been told the lie of romantic love. In our TV shows, in our movies, the things we watch, we get this idea of love or the person we're meant to be with. Well, first of all, 
I'm gonna be really physically attracted to them immediately. Second of all, we're gonna have this chemistry. We're just gonna get each other. Third of all, they're gonna instinctively know how I like to be loved and they're gonna do that without me asking. You know, for, fourth of all, fourth of all, they're not gonna be awkward, okay? We better not have a first awkward interaction or else I'm done, okay? Fifth of, I guess, and the list goes on and on. And some of these, some of these expectations we haven't even thought about. They're just unconscious, we just expect them. And, and I'm not gonna say that that's sin, but I am gonna say that if you keep those and you hold them tightly, they're gonna really hinder you in pursuit of marriage. That's not realistic. Um, let me just give you two encouragements, okay? These aren't gonna sound like encouragements. Um, uh, and we'll get back to the text in about a minute. And my, my wife's gonna start laughing, just, just ignore her, okay? For the last 5,000 years, 95% of marriages have been arranged by parents for social benefit. So mom and dad will pick a spouse out for you, not because you liked them or because they thought it was a good match, but because so you could advance socially. And guess what? Divorce rates were tiny. And people did just fine. They built happy, healthy lives. What well, that tells me, okay, we can't go back there. I'm sorry. Some of you guys really want to. It'd be a lot less stressful, you know? <laughs> mom and dad, just... Just, just do it. I, I don't even want to see him. Just pick him out, you know? Uh, we can't go back there. But, w- but what I will say, all right, what I will say is almost anyone who loves Christ, you can do really well with them. If they love Jesus and they know him and they're an adult, you can do really well. You can build a life with them. They don't have to be the person of your dreams. That, that fantasy thing that's out there that's not real, Okay. And again, I would just say sidebar here again, sidebar, sidebars, whatever, okay? Maybe an application of becoming a marriable person or finding a marriable spouse is you stop watching shows that glorify romance. Maybe you take a break from romantic comedies once a week, okay? Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're like, these are stupid, I can handle it. But like, like, if you watch a movie like that and you're like, oh, I just, the notebook, I just wish this would happen, okay? That's going to that's gonna destroy you, guys. It's going to really, it's, it's gonna, it's, you're setting yourself up for failure. I'm being serious about that. Uh, second thing, all right, even if you married the one, all right, you can ask any married couple about this. They, over time, they become a normal part of life. And it's a beautiful thing. Like the, the feelings change, like the rush of emotions you get when someone likes you back, that changes. It becomes a, oh my gosh, this person's been committed to me, not when I was like dressed up fresh on a date, but when I was throwing up in the toilet or when I was being grumpy, you know? And, and, and this, this, there's this new, new normalcy that's wonderful. But, okay, the, 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 the flowery, like, googly eyes, time slows down when you see them, that fades. Ask any married couple. And so listen, the whole point of that is don't base your pursuit of marriage on those things. Think biblically when you think about a spouse. Train yourself to. Okay. 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 6. Paul first says, if you are not gifted to be single, if you have strong sexual desires or desires for companionship, pursue marriage uh, biblically, realistically. Uh, But uh, not everyone is like that. Um, Not everyone needs marriage to live. Some people have been gifted by God to be single. Uh, look Look at verse 6. Now as a concession... Not as a command, I say, so everything above in verse uh, 1 through 5, Paul says, as a concession, not as a command. He's not commanding anybody to get married. You don't have to get married. Uh, in fact, concession here, don't think of concession stand. 
Think of like compromise. Uh, think of two, two parties like getting it, coming in the middle. Uh, Paul says, in fact, I wish that all were as myself am, as I myself am. In other words, I wish everybody could handle being single. I wish the gospel would go forward a lot faster if that happened. Um, but he says here, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So being able to be content with a life of singleness, looking at your life and saying, I could see my life go just fine without a spouse. I could see myself being okay with that. That is a gift sovereignly given by God. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It doesn't make you weird. It's a wonderful option for life. Now, if you're sitting here and you're like, please, Lord, not that gift, okay? You don't have the gift. Just, just embrace that. If you're, if you're, if you're afraid of being, okay, guys, I remember, I read this as a college student. It freaked me out, okay? If you're afraid of the gift of singleness, you don't have the gift of singleness. Just, in, just oh, breathe, okay? Um, but but if, you, if, if in the providence of Jesus, if you can look at your life and you can say, I'm okay without a spouse. My desires are under control. I can see a fruitful life for myself. Embrace that. It does not make you weird or different. It's a good thing. It's a gift. Um, and if that's you, I just want to say one thing. Uh, don't let the haters get you down. Um, now, now I, I'll, just, I'll just say, I'll just say, um, it, in, in the, yeah, 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 I don't have a verse for that, okay? I don't have a verse for that. But I think in the church, in the American church especially, in some ways, in reaction to our culture, we have placed marriage on a pedestal. And some people, all right, if you walk through life single for Jesus, some people will think that is strange or even not the best path for you. Maybe like your mom, right? Have you met somebody yet? Are you, you know, like on the phone, you know, or like, or you'll, you'll find yourself like, oh man, I just don't feel like I fit here. I'll just say, if that's, if that's you, if you're gifted to be single, embrace it and use it for the Lord. Use it to serve the church. It's good. Um, so, uh, Paul's perspective so far. If you are not gifted to be single, pursue marriage realistically. If you are gifted to be single, embrace that. But there's one more piece of uh, perspective here that is just wonderful and applies to everybody, not just single people, not just people gifted, not just people not gifted. Um, It's this. Wherever you are, embrace the life that God has given you. Look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Have you ever considered that the particular circumstances in your life right now, that your makeup, your personality, your, your gifts, your lack of gifts, your, your work situation, your relationship status, all of those things have been sovereignly given to you by God. Look at the words here. Uh, the life that the Lord has assigned to him, you could say the life the Lord has distributed to him or measured out to him. Uh, think about in my house on Christmas morning growing up, we had a bunch of presents under the tree and we had everyone go sit in their seats and we had one Christmas elf, okay? And the Christmas elf would go pick, you know, pick the present, okay, from Santa to Leland, take, take it to Leland, okay? Um, that's how it worked. That, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the sense of this, this verb here. God is taking a set of circumstances He's taking a particular life, and he has sovereignly given it to you, whatever that looks like. Um, it gets even more personal. Uh, look at the end of verse 17. The life that, to which God has called him. This is the same verb that's used in Romans 8 when 
Paul says that those God predestined, he also called to himself. The same, the same sense of God calling us to salvation, that personal God speaking to us through the scriptures, calling us to know him. In that same way, God has called you to your circumstances. In the same way that people are called to missions or called to ministry or called to whatever, God's called you to what your particular life looks like. Not only has he called you to it, he is there with you. Look at verse 24. In whatever condition each was called, let, there let him remain with God. God is with you in your circumstances. He's present. He's there. You know, companionship makes almost any trouble better. And what, what I, what I want to say is this text tells you that in your present life, not in the dream future life, not in the glory days of college, okay, right where you are right now, God's with you there. He's able to help you. He's walking with you. So in light of that, it means we should embrace whatever God has called us to in life right now. Look at verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he, he was called. We should not try to drastically change our life circumstances. Now, I want to be careful here and balanced, okay? If you're unemployed, that does not mean don't look for a job, okay? Uh, the Bible also says those who don't work shouldn't eat, right? It, it, what, what it's saying is, Embrace the season of looking for work. Don't wake up each morning angry at the Lord for not giving you a job. Embrace where you're at. If you're single, this does not mean don't get married. It means embrace this season of life of looking and waiting. Um, and there are a ton of ways we could go talking about embracing your circumstances. Uh, the, example, the examples that Paul gives in verses 18 to 22 are circumstances of status. So what your status in life is, if you look at verse 18, uh, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Circumcision was a religious and ethnic status. In the old covenant, the mark of a believer in God was that they were in the covenant people and they had been circumcised. It was very similar to baptism. Uh, that all changed with Jesus Christ. It's not a requirement to be in God's people anymore. So Paul says, whatever your religious heritage is and whatever effect it's had on you, just embrace that. Um, and then he says, uh, this, is even, this is even bigger. He says, were you a bondservant when you were called? Look at uh, verse 21. Uh, this word could be translated slave. Um, slavery in the Roman Empire was very different than we conceive of slavery. It wasn't about race. It wasn't about um, how you looked. Uh, you could become a slave in Rome. If Rome conquered you, uh, you were one of Rome's enemies. They conquered. You could be made a slave. You could also sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt or to come under the protection of your master. But however you ended up there, you were the low person on the totem pole. You were the bottom of society. You had no rights. You didn't even get to determine where you, what time you got to eat. All right? You had no control over your life. And Paul says, if that's you, just be okay with that. Um, it, it, em, embrace that. And we could say that uh, we should embrace even the difficult circumstances uh, because God has given them to us and because God's there. But this passage goes even further. And it says that the gospel redefines your circumstances. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 22. This, this is just an incredible verse, guys. This, is, this blows me out of the water. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. So someone in the first century who was a slave, whose life was run by someone else who had no rights, 
when they're called of Jesus, who they really are is a future ruler of the universe, a citizen of heaven with all the rights thereof. They are a freed person. They're freed from sin. They're free from the devil. They are more free than their unbelieving master. In the same sense, the most wealthy and powerful free person in the first century called to Jesus is now a bondservant or slave of Jesus. Their life is no longer their own. Their life belongs to Christ. The gospel radically changes our identities. The gospel redefines our circumstances. If you're, if, you're, if you're a Christian this morning, if you've trusted Christ, you are not primarily your job, you're not primarily your relational status, you're not primarily your race or your religious background. You are a son or daughter of the living God. You are a future ruler of the universe. You are, in, you, you are inheriting the kingdom. You are right with God. You're loved by God. In fact, the scriptures would go as far to say, you are the spouse of Jesus. God on heaven has so committed himself to you and has so much affection for you, it makes the ideal 10 out of 10 spouse pale in comparison. That's who you are. And so uh, this makes embracing uh, your circumstances much easier. You know, if you define your life by your work or by your relationship status, you are one bad day away from an existential crisis, a who am I? But if, if your identity is rooted here, and what God has said of you, you can weather your terrible work week or this season of singleness or wherever you're at. So, um, wherever you are this morning, whatever the particular relational or work situation, uh, whatever your status is, however you think other people see you, embrace that life as given to you by God and see how God has re- identified you in the gospel. Um, sometimes, uh, one, one lesson I've learned that's been very humbling is that sometimes the gifts we don't want or ask for are things we actually love. This is when Sarah and I were newly married, and uh, she asked me if I wanted to get a Nook for Christmas, which is like a Amazon Fire, like one of those e-readers, okay? And I was like, no, I like books, okay? I like actual physical books. And uh, come Christmas morning, I get this little rectangular box, and there it is. And I'm, I'm like trying to be excited, but I'm not, you know? Like, like sweetheart, I told you not to get me this gift. And she was just kind of like, just try it out. We can return it if you don't want it. Just try it out. And I loved it. I, I, I read so many books on that thing. Um, and I think our normal pattern in life is once I enjoy my circumstances, then I'll embrace them. And the biblical pattern is once you embrace your circumstances, then you will enjoy them. So embrace your circumstances this morning, single, wanting to be married, struggling, navigating things, whatever, okay? And you will find yourself enjoying the Lord and enjoying your life more than you have before. Let's pray. Lord, uh, just thank you for Jesus and thank you that as sinners, um, we are loved by God and we are going to inherit the universe and I just every person in here who knows Christ is one day going to be in glory and that is just a that is a profound and wonderful and we just pray that you teach us uh, more and more to live our lives in that reality I pray in Jesus name amen